Hi everyone, Pastor Tony here. Before we get started with the recording of Tuesday's Bible study, just a quick note. Our Tuesday group will be doing the same Bible study uh, corresponding with what's going on Sunday mornings for our Sunday morning Bible study on the Gospel according to Matthew. And the Tuesday group will likely be working ahead most weeks. So, if you're coming on Sunday, I'd advise you not to listen. You can if you want. I guess you'd be a little extra prepared, but um, I suppose there's no such thing as a spoiler alert when it comes to scripture. But that said, um, that will be the recording that you're about to hear. So I hope you do get a chance to join us either on Tuesdays or with this recording or on Sunday mornings as we enter into the gospel according to Matthew. Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Matthew 1 and 2 is what we're going to look at today. So we don't, we won't go quite as fast. But um, first, let's, let's talk about Matthew a little bit. Um, do either of you have a favorite gospel? I don't know. Luke, I guess. Luke? Uh, Why Luke? I guess it seems like he tells a simple side of the story. Okay. Well, I don't have a simple one. Don't have a favorite one. Um, so Matthew is and has been sort of considered like the gold standard of the gold standard of the gospels um, from, from very early on. That's why they put it first actually. Um, Cause it's, it's considered the most complete sort of telling of the life of Jesus with Matthew's gospel. Um, there are, so the four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the three that come first there, Matthew, Mark, Luke are called the synoptics. And they are the ones that share the most stories in common. And there's a whole lot of theories about, you know, when they were written and how they were composed. Matthew, they think, was probably after Mark. Um, they, they think Mark's the earliest complete gospel. And then they sometimes theorize that there was a, a lost one, which they call Q. It was a German theologian that came up with this theory. So the, the Q, not that Q. <laughs> So the Q stands for uh, some German word, but that the writers of, they think that the writers of Luke and the writers of Matthew might've been working from Mark in this Q source as they're, as they're sort of putting pen to, or whatever, quill to papyrus and, uh, and coming up with the writing down the gospel of Matthew. Um, it's a little bit later, like I said, they think in its composition, it is much more focused on, um, they always say, a Jewish audience. Um, so probably written out of a community that was closer to uh, Jerusalem, maybe, or at least that this was the gospel that was, if it's if it's further out um, from Jerusalem, that this would have been for more of the, the Jewish populations out in the, the greater Roman world. And there were quite a few of them. Uh, after the exile, when after the second exile, and even after the, the first one, not all the Jewish people come back to the Holy Land. A lot of them spread out into parts of the Mediterranean, up into Europe, into East, East Africa, or excuse me, North Africa. Um, and when, they're, when the Christians go out evangelizing and spreading the word, you have sort of these, the place they start, and we find this in Acts of the Apostles, is already in Jewish communities. And there were three um, groups that are a part of out in the greater Roman world 
the Jewish faith, so they know they know the stories already, right? And you can hear this in the Gospels, and, and you get really quickly into it in Matthew, but you hear it in the Gospels in that there's always these references to the prophets. Well, if you're just going, if you think about it, if you're just going out to tell the story of Jesus to non-Jewish Gentiles, they don't really care what Isaiah says, or it just doesn't mean the same thing to them, right? So you're dealing with an audience that has a basis in, in Judaism. And the three groups that you had were, were people that were Jewish by birth and by upbringing. Then you had a, a group called uh, proselytes who were converts. So they were Gentiles that had been brought into Judaism. And then you had this third group of people called God-fearers. And it talks about these folks, too, in Acts. And the God-fearers, they weren't quite converts, but they you know, might come to Torah study or synagogue or, or listen to the stories. So they, they believed in, in the God of Israel, but they hadn't been brought into the Jewish faith. So this is the, this is kind of where Christianity, when it first starts out, gets its footing is within Judaism, as you'd suspect, because obviously Jesus is Jewish and the whole religious, um, you know, movement springs from there. And that's important as we start here in Matthew. Oh gosh, so many names. I'll, we'll do our best. So this is how Matthew wants to start his gospel. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're gonna, we're gonna get more picky here because we we're not gonna cover as much ground in these sessions. What's, what's Matthew putting, what information has Matthew put out right off the bat? In that first verse. He's a descendant of David. Descendant of David. So he's in the Davidic he's line. And and knowing what we know from the, uh, just what we've learned, right? What does that open Jesus up to being? Well, would you, you could say the true heir. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Right, so he's in he's in the king's line, um, so that's that's right off the bat. All right, so he's a descendant of David. What else? He's also a descendant of Abraham. Good. So what does being a descendant of Abraham mean? I mean, obviously David would be too, but why throw that in? Well, that's where all the promises came. There we go. Yep. We just we just <laughs> saw that when we were doing Genesis, right? So he's linked both to the greater covenant. He's linked to the Davidic line, and the biggest one that's actually the starter. Who is Jesus? Matthew gives him a title right son. off the bat. He's a son. Well, he's, yeah, but before that. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, or the Christ, depending on how it's translated. Yeah. Right? So there's that. He's the, this is the story of the Savior, the Messiah. Matthew's not letting, leaving it up to be discovered by you or anything. Right off the bat, this is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's in the Davidic line. He's obviously descended from these covenants, right? So it places Jesus in that position of prominence sort of right off the get-go. So this, Jesus, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a roundabout way, but it's what it sort of is of saying Jesus is important. Very important. Um, Matthew wants you to have that impression right away as the hearer. 
Then we're going to go into these lines. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by his wife Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, fourteen generations. So what does the fourteen have to say? All right. Matthew one. Sylvia was asking why 14 by 14, right? I just wondered if there was any significance to it. Um, that's a good question. I can't remember about 14 specifically. I mean, obviously, if it's 14 by 14, you get 7 by 7 by 7 by 7. Um, 7 sometimes, that number of completion, so it's in there. Um, so and let me look at, real quick forward at something. So again, where does the genealogy of Jesus start for Matthew? Where is that going to begin? Or for Jesus, according to Matthew? Starts with Abraham. Starts with Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. Now let me look here. Is it... Okay, so just for comparative sake, if we jump to Luke's gospel, Luke's chapter 3. So Luke 3, verses 23 to 38. 
So it's that last section of chapter 3. Well, it goes backwards. It goes backwards, which is which is different. But And we don't have to do all the names here. But if we skip all the way to verse 38, what's verse 38 uh, of chapter 3 in Luke say? The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Okay. So, I know that was a lot of flipping. We're just going to flip back. <laughs> so for Luke... Where does, the ends, where does the line of ancestry start? With God himself. With God himself. Okay, yes. But then but then to whom? First person. Abe, Abe, to Adam. Adam. To Adam. Right? Oh. So, and we I talked a little bit before we got started about G, the audience here for Matthew as compared to maybe some of the other gospel writers. Luke wants to start with the genealogy, first person being... Adam. He's, he's in the line of Adam. Matthew starts at Abraham. Why, why that difference, do you think? Well, Adam sins and gets punished. And when after that we aren't hearing too much about Adam being repentant and everything like that. But Abraham... Uh, was the good among the evil. Okay. Abraham's a little bit more fully righteous, although I would point out that, uh, well, I guess everyone makes good, but certainly King David has has his sin. Um, you also have, you know, other people in here that are not the, the most stalwart of kings as a part of the line in Matthew. So I don't think it's exactly about the sin. If Matthew, the people would have understood from Abraham. Okay, yes, they would have. They would have understood, and they would have understood that Abraham, of course, too, is a descendant of Adam, right? I mean, that's that's kind of already worked in. But think about it this way: if you're a descendant of Adam, and that's by the person you start with becomes sort of a way of defining the genealogy of the person you're talking about. If you're a descendant of Adam, who does that make you in relation to as far as people go? The people who settle in uh, what we consider the Holy Land today because he came from Ur the Chaldees to the... That's Abraham. That's it. If you're a descendant of Adam, who are you related to? Oh, you're not. Adam and Eve, they were created by God. So who who are Adam and Eve related to? As far as the, the story understands it. God. Everyone. Right? Yeah. All sons of Adam, all daughters of Eve. That, that accounts for everyone. So Luke... In his gospel, it's a gospel that's a little bit, or maybe even you could say much more focused on this message going out to everyone. 
Luke is often said to have more of the, the gospel for the Gentiles. So Jesus, in Luke's gospel, Luke's going to place his genealogy as a descendant of Adam, which means, guess what? Everyone's related to Jesus. Just kind of think about that as the focal point of that message. For Matthew, Matthew's going to start where? With Abraham. 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 Who is so, the Jew who receives the promise. Right. The first one of the first one of the faith, really. There, there, there is no religion. There is no Jewish religion, really. I mean, there is, and there, but the, this idea of God's people through the covenant comes with Abraham, and that's where Matthew wants to place and begin the focus of who Jesus is. So, in thinking about who's the gospel for, right? Well, you can see just in these genealogies. Luke is making that argument. Well, it's for everyone because we're all we're all related to Adam. For Matthew, who's writing this more Jewish-centric gospel, the message is more for this Messiah who's the descendant of Abraham. Now, of course, that also means he's the descendant of Adam, but focusing, like Matthew wants to kind of just make that point. This is a descendant of the covenant. That Abraham is seen as more important than Adam. Um, because he was the one who received the... Yeah, sure. Adam isn't particularly... He's just there. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's, he's God's creature. You know, he's not... There's not a whole lot of worship or anything established through him or, or anything like that. So it is going to be Abraham. But Abraham is the first the father of the faith, and this is where Matthew wants to start out. All right, so now we get into the, well, they both do the same thing here with the genealogy, I will say. Who's the genealogy run through? Men. It mentions women, but for Jesus specifically, it runs through Joseph, right? Even though Joseph is not his biological father. But they still account for the genealogy through Joseph not through Mary. Um, so that's a... Partly because, yes, it runs through the men. I think that is the answer. Yeah, I think Ruth is the only woman that's mentioned. Um, well, it mentions Uriah, the wife of Solomon, and it does mention Ruth. Solomon had so many wives. Well, <laughs> you had to, yeah, you had to narrow down had, which yeah, one. You had to be sure that that it was a Jewish person. Well, not necessarily, though, because uh, where's Ruth from? Oh, Do you yeah, remember? Moab. Yeah, she's the Ruth the Moabite. So she's in the story. And so is, um, I'm trying to think if they mention it here. Oh, gosh, where would that be placed? No, I guess maybe not. Well, anyway, let's, let's move forward here to the... Uh, to the Christmas story as it's told by Matthew. So this is 18 through 25, if someone could read that for us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for she, for that which she is, she is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Um, interpret this for me. <clears throat> what do we? Where do we get the the interpretation of Jesus? as being the Savior of sins. Um, let's finish the reading, then we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. Uh, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Is that where I'm supposed to stop? Or? Through 25. Okay. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took his wife, but knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so where do we get that Jesus is the Savior from, from sins, right? So let's look, let's see what verse that was here. Uh, okay, so verse 21. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me make sure. Okay, so first, Mary, I guess <laughs> the obvious answer is where do we get, get it from? Well, we get it from right there, right? That that's part of it. Um, but the word Jesus itself, how is that associated with sin? Oh, it's not. Um, it's, it, it's basically a, a derivation of Josh, Yeshua. Um, we just, and I think because, well, there's a couple reasons. In English, we've retained it to distinguish Jesus from other people of a similar name, similar Hebrew name. In the Greek and then the Latin, which in this is translated, um, you wound up with words that were closer to what we call in English Jesus now. And so they kept, because you can imagine when you'd go from one language to the next, it would be kind of a, we change a lot sometimes when we change the way we translate the Bible. If we just out and out change the name of, of our Lord, that might be a big shock to the system. So they kind of had developed this way of saying the name of the name of the son and, and retained it. But the name in and of itself, uh, let me see if that has a specific meaning. Well, they should come back and say it means Savior. Okay, so the name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew name Yeshua, meaning to deliver, to rescue. So he's already, he has a name that is rooted in this idea of deliverance or, or being a Savior or as it comes across in Greek, Christ. Um, so that's part of his Hebrew name, part of his name, that tells you something about what the person's going to do. Why is it salvation from sin or sins? Um, what, is, what is sin? That's an open-ended question. What, is, what are sins or what is sin? Uh, failure to obey the Good. So sin is sin is failing to obey the law and the, and the rules of, of God. Th those are sins. 
right? Mm -hmm. More broadly, what is what is sin? Something bad that hurts other people. Well, it hurts you too, but it hurts. hurts other people. Hurts us. What does sin do to our relationship with God? Separates us or divides us. That's the separation and division from God, right? So this this deliverance and this rescue and this salvation, um, you can't you can't parse it out from sin because the separation from God is what creates all the turmoil. So if you are going to be not just your sins, right? Your sins don't make something happen necessarily somewhere else that's bad. But sin being this separation is the thing that needs to be fixed to ultimately get back to that Eden type thing. All right. So Jesus and um, Jesus and this idea of salvation, if we have to be saved from something, it's going to be everything in total, everything that's bad. So that's the separation from God. You know, the, the, uh, we were talking, uh, there are an awful lot of Jewish names that begin with J-E. Well, G Jeffrey, you know, Joseph, Jeff yeah. If you look back through here, the five bad, and, and uh, so. All right, so we're, we're going to do some comparison here again with Luke and, and think about how that means, what it means. We don't have to flip back and forth. Maybe we can remember because we covered this recently. Um, Matthew's version, right? Who does the angel come to? Joseph. Joseph. Luke's version, who does the angel come to? Mary. Mary. Matthew's version, who makes the, the good choice in terms of what to do next? Joseph, Joseph right? Joseph, yeah. Luke's version, Mary. So you have this sort of, they're very similar, right? The angel comes to Mary in Luke's gospel, and she hears the... She hears what the angel has to say. And does anyone remember her response? My soul is magnified the Lord. Yeah. Let it be yeah, to me. Let it be I'm a servant of the I'm a servant of the Lord, right? So she she has this sort of um, she has this obedient um, nature when it comes to God. Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Right? Same thing there, but told through these different the two different parents of Jesus. What's interesting about Matthew's gospel, in Luke's gospel, we don't get much of a sense of who Mary is prior to the interaction with the angel. It doesn't really, it just kind of says she's this young woman and she's betrothed. What gets added here in the, in the Matthew version? Uh, that he's going to save people from their sins. Well, no, 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 about Joseph. See, we don't learn a lot about Mary before the interaction, but we hear an extra story about Joseph here. What was Joseph first going to do? Oh, if he was going to divorce her, quiet. So Joseph, so the ordering's a little bit different too, right? Mary doesn't know she's pregnant. The angel comes to her and says, you're pregnant. Well, whether this is, at some point, Joseph realizes she's pregnant, right? And everyone knows, apparently. Um, and Joseph's going to do what? He's going to divorce her quietly. Why? Because he doesn't want her to be stoned or whatever. 
Be, yes, because he is, as it says, a good man. He's a good man, an honorable man, a kind man, right? So it lets us know a little bit about Joseph here. Puts him in a very good light, even before the angel visits him, um, which is which is telling us something about Joseph and his character that Mary doesn't necessarily get until she gets the visit from the angel. And Sylvia, as you mentioned, you're right. What's what's the alternative? Yeah, they would stone her, right? They could have stoned her. They could have, you know, there could have been other punishments involved. Um, it could have been a really, they could have kind of put her out of the, you know, put her out of the town or something like that. Um, but Joseph has this, this kind-hearted benevolence towards her. So we get to learn something about Joseph, and then obviously he does what, what God tells him to do. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to come back here. Yeah. Because... Um, He's supposed to call his name Jesus. And then behold, we're going to bear a son. And his name <laughs> shall be called Emmanuel. Yeah. Well, Emmanuel is not Jesus. It is not. It's not the word. It is not. And so what does Emmanuel mean? Because he uses it a lot. So, verse 22 here. So this is kind of important because sometimes we read this back to back. And it gets pushed into one. Who's saying all this took place to fulfill? Matthew. Right. As opposed to who? The angel. Oh. This isn't the this isn't the angel saying this. This is Matthew adding this on. These aren't the words of the angel, right? So the angel shows up and says, "Name him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins." Matthew then for the first time adds interpretation through other parts of Scripture directly. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Um, is that Isaiah? Uh, actually, I don't know off the top, man. Let me see. M, 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 M. I have a little notation here. Yep, Isaiah, seventh, seventh chapter. So that's Isaiah. Um, why add this in if it doesn't match directly? Or if it seems not to match directly? It's again trying to make connection with those that have some connection to the Jewish people. It makes it makes connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's close to being right on the nose, right? So sometimes, and I actually, you know, when I was younger, had the impression that for some reason the angel showed up and said, "You will name him Jesus," and then the angel quotes the prophet, and that seems pretty wonky. Here it's Matthew throwing this in because it's close. It talks about this birth, this virgin birth. Um, and then it talks about his name, right? And it talks about the name is, which means God is with us. So now Jesus, in a sense, has multiple names, which is not entirely off if you're thinking about God. So as we were in the Old Testament, Sometimes we miss it in English, right? And I think we've talked about this when we've read through the Old Testament. God has these different names that we just translate over as God or Lord. But in those moments when they're being used, 
they're saying something about who God is and what God does. It's kind of the same thing going on here um, in that Jesus is going to have the name of Jesus as prescribed by the angel, but he's also going to be called Emmanuel. Not only to fulfill the prophecy, because, but because what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So what does this also then tell us about the nature of Jesus? That he is God. Right. So it starts to... He's God, God and he is man. Yes. And this is something that in that first genealogy, right, we don't get, we don't get a handle of. That just seems more... That's a human genealogy. Starting with Abraham coming down to Jesus. Then when the angel visits... Um, what does the angel tell Joseph about the conception of this child? From the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And then we can tie that in with the prophecy of he'll also be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this is that first glimpse that Matthew gives us of the divinity of Jesus. So we know he's the Savior. We know he's the Messiah. We know he's very Jewish and descended from the covenant. We know he's in the Davidic line. Now we know he's from the Holy Spirit, and he is Emmanuel. So there's a lot of what's so, I think, sometimes not striking or almost banal to us who have heard the stories again and again, is if you're hearing this from the, for the first time, this is a whole lot of big information in a short period of time about who Jesus is. And it, and it goes from sort of, it goes from lesser to greater because it starts with, yeah, Jesus is a person. Yes, he's the Messiah, but guess what? Also, this is God with us. And, and right off the bat, we get these two pieces of information to take with us. Okay, now I got a question. Yeah. See, uh, we believe in the triune God. Yes. And so this means then that Jesus was present with God yes. before he was on earth. Yes. But what is the Holy Spirit doing? <laughs> Holy Spirit stuff. He's delivering the message to Mary? No, that's an angel. That's an angel. He, hasn't, he wasn't speaking. Holy Spirit stuff, depending on how you want to look at it, would be um, sometimes interactions, from a, from a Christian perspective, sometimes the interactions with God or some of the actions of God in the Old Testament, we would ascribe to the Holy Spirit. Um, whereas Judaism doesn't doesn't make that distinction. We we make that distinction. But Holy Spirit stuff could be anything from active things to visions to you know, dr- yeah, that, those those could be fruits of the Holy Spirit. But there is also this role of the angels too, and that's who delivers the message here. All right. Chapter 2 brings us to the lesson we heard this last week. So, let's hear... um, Can someone read chapter 2 through verse 12? Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the time when Herod was king. Soon afterwards, some men who studied the stars came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the baby born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it came up in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was upset, and so was everyone else in Jerusalem. 
he called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law and asked them, Where will the Messiah be born? In the town of Bethlehem in Judea, they answered. For this is what the prophet wrote, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are by no means least of the leading cities of Judah. For from you will come a leader who will be a guide, who will guide my people Israel. So Herod called the visitors from the east to a secret meeting and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem with these instructions, go and make careful search for the child. And when you find him, let me know so that I may too come and worship him. And so they left and on their way, they saw the same star they had seen in the east. When they saw it, they were how, when they saw it, how happy they were, what joy was theirs. It went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They went into the house, and when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they knelt down and worshipped him. They brought him out gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and presented them to him. Then they returned to their own country by another road, since God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. All right. So, this is... Um, what what new title does Jesus get here? Messiah. He's already got that. King. King of the King of the Jews, right? So this is um, this ties back to his Davidic line, right? He's sort of eligible for this by birth um, but now it's being it's being shown what's what's the sign that he is the king of the Jews the star right okay so um, and again we have this quotation from scripture and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Where does, let's see here. So where is Jesus living? Where has he been born and where is he living? Bethlehem, it looks like. Bethlehem, right? Who else comes from around Bethlehem? David. David. So he's, he's not only in the house of David, he's in the city, the same city where David is found too. Um, he fulfills this part of prophecy. And um, it's different. It's different already from Luke. Where do, where do Mary and Joseph live in Luke? They live in Nazareth. Nazareth. They live in Nazareth. Matthew seems to challenge that a little bit here. Um, so in Luke's gospel, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is situationally based and, and a temporary location. They just sort of wind up being in Bethlehem in Luke. But Luke also is familiar with this prophecy, and that sort of explains the, the workings of God to get Jesus or to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so Jesus can be born there. In Matthew's gospel, it would appear that Mary and Joseph 
are probably more than likely living in Bethlehem. Okay, so what gives us, and I think I mentioned on Sunday that, you know, this is between zero and maybe two years later. What gives us a sense that they're not just there temporarily, though, based on the, the timing that we have here? When does the star appear? At the birth. At the birth, right? And then the Magi have to follow it. They probably have to study it, figure out what it means, and then follow it, and then travel, and then get to Jerusalem, and then do the deal and do the business in Jerusalem with Herod, and then go to Bethlehem. So it's at least not, at a minimum, this is several months. By the time, I mean, they didn't just hop on a plane from Persia or wherever they are and fly, uh, fly. They had to, this was a whole, whole ordeal to get them there. So it seems like they're not just temporarily in Bethlehem. Now, if you synchronize the stories, okay, maybe, maybe they went to Bethlehem for the census and I don't know, it was the off season for Joseph. So they just stayed there a while, maybe some room in the house finally opened up and they moved out of the manger and into the house for a little bit. I don't know. But, um, but either way, Matthew, Matthew is much more concerned about making this point that Jesus sort of comes from Bethlehem because he's much more invested in the prophecies and the prophets that have come before and this Davidic line. So this is where Jesus is going to be. Um, so he's named the king you have this strong attachment to Bethlehem. How about the gifts? Gold, myrrh, and frankincense. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? So the gold is obviously a gift for a king. Um, the frankincense... Carries prayers to the... Yeah, right. Frankincense, incense. So... What if, think about the titles that we've established for Jesus so far. The gold signifies what? The king. His king's, his earthly kingship. The frankincense signifies what? His connection then to God. Because what do you use to worship God? Among other things. Burning of incense. So he's recognized as the earthly king. He's recognized as, as divine. And then there's this last one, murder. Do you know, does anyone know what the myrrh is for? Yeah, that's what the burial, burial right. spice or whatever. Right. So, again, this is something we've learned, but it's not the same for us. I suppose, I don't know what the equivalent would be. If they showed up with formaldehyde or something today, as morbid <laughs> as that sounds. But um, what are we learning about Jesus? It's going to die. It's going to die. He's going to die. And it's his, his death, then, is placed on the same level of prominence because you have these three gifts that are distinctly mentioned. He's an earthly king. He's divine. Death is a part of this, too. So they all need to be... They all sort of have this similar footing now. Um, which is... If you just think of him as, as person, or even if you think of him as being fully person, yes, he's going to die. But think about the expectation of the Messiah, this, this, especially in the earthly Messiah sense. You don't want him to die, at least not part of his mission. 
he's supposed to be the great king and the great ruler. And what are the Psalms? You know, bless the king and may he live, you know, forever and all this stuff. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, so his death is going to be a part of his, his life here, in a sense, or his work, um, just as importantly as the other two. And these then gifts you, signify that. Then you see, what do you think is going to happen? Well, then you're going to use the gold right away. <laughs> to keep living and yeah, and then uh, the frankincense. I suppose they would burn it whenever they're supposed to be burning frankincense or as an offering. Maybe, maybe at the, maybe at the baptism. Oh, it'll be a long time to hold on to it. Or the dedication. Um, they, I I don't know if they could bring their own incense to the temple to be burned by the priest. That's a good question. But the question is, and what did, how did they keep the myrrh? You know, it's very well, hold on to it and stay around all the time and she's at the foot of the cross. And then... Well, you know, a spice, I don't know if it was as valuable as gold, but, a, but spices in that time were another form of currency too. So you would have held on to that just like you would have held on to, to gold potentially. Um, there's this line that comes up in the Gospels about that whole thing Jesus says about salt. Mm -hmm. If you've lost, salt loses its saltiness. It's very, it's kind of this confusing thing. But the, the importance of salt, salt was actually used for wages in some places. Mm -hmm. And that whole phrase about being worth your weight in salt um, has to do with the monetary value of salt. So, you know, how much myrrh is being presented? Well, I think they would have kept, it would have been highly valued. So they might have kept it as part of their... Now, whether it's used for Jesus' actual burial, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's some traditional source that will claim that it was. But I think it's more important that it's just meant to signify these things. All right, we won't go too far into the... We talked about the, uh, we talked about the uh, Magi and their, their journey and elsewhere. What do we learn about Herod here, just very briefly? Um... Well, from what he says in here, uh, he's sneaky. Yep. He's a liar. He's sneaky. He's a liar. He's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. All right. So let's continue on here, picking up in verse 13. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph's mother or then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was, was, this was what was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Okay. Going in and out of Egypt. When does this happen in the, in the Old Testament stories? Quite frequently. But let's let's think. That I'm thinking of three instances specifically. Who goes in and out of Egypt? Well, Moses does. Moses does, right? Moses um, Moses is obviously born in Egypt, but he's he's raised an Egyptian. He comes out of Egypt. He goes back into Egypt. He comes out of Egypt. So you can't. Moses is absolutely tied to this idea of coming in and out of Egypt. Before Moses, it happened with two other people. Joseph. Joseph, right? So 
Joseph goes down to Egypt. Egypt is... Now think about this too. Moses goes down to Egypt, or Moses is in Egypt, and Egypt is... There's a complicated... There's a complicated line with the Israelites and the Egyptians in that the oppressiveness of the slavery got to a point that they needed to leave, but Egypt was not all the way bad to them either. Um, so Moses, obviously the relationships fractured at that point. Joseph, what happens with Joseph in his travels down to Egypt? Not this Joseph, Father Joseph. Well, um, he goes there and he's uh, uh, enslaved and he tells prophecies and then he becomes a ruler. Right, so his own brothers enslave him. They sell him. He winds up in Egypt. He gets falsely accused and, and imprisoned at one point, but then he has this ability to see visions from God. He gets elevated to this very important position within the, the Pharaoh's hierarchy. Um, Egypt is good to him. In fact, it's so good that he brings down all the Israelites, basically. All the, all the sons of sons of Israel. He brings down all his brothers, and that's, that's what kind of roots them in Egypt at that point. Um, and and they do quite well. And there's one more trip into Egypt, and they do quite well for a while, yeah. And there's one more trip into Egypt I'm thinking of. This is a lesser known story. Abraham goes into Egypt. Mm -hmm. And this is a story that repeats itself twice. We did this in Genesis, but Abraham goes into Egypt for protection again. So food and protection, it's been a source, a place of food and protection for the Israelites. And even with Abraham, he goes down into Egypt. And when he's there, it's that whole story about Sarah's still pretty attractive at this point. And he doesn't want to be killed so that they can take Sarah. So he says that he's the brother and then she winds up sleeping with Pharaoh. And then God punishes the Egyptians for sleeping with Abraham's wife. And that's that whole one where it seems like Abraham should maybe be in trouble, but God has already picked him. So God's good with it and punished. And Pharaoh's got to get rid of him. But so this, you can't, you can't differentiate the story of the Israelites without these moments in Egypt. Right. So now who's also going to share in this? Oh, Jesus. Jesus, right? Matthew's tied to making a message for people of the, the covenant. And so it, you need a story. You need a moment when Jesus goes to Egypt too. If only so that he can come back out. Interestingly enough, who, who leads them to Egypt? The Holy Spirit. The dream. Well, but who has the dream? Joseph. Sorry, we're talking to Joseph again. How do they actually refer to Mary and Jesus? How does Matthew refer to them here? Uh, mother and son. Right. So they're not named. This is a story about Joseph. Joseph. Okay. What was the first Joseph's experience? He went there and then he Why did he have to go? Why did he go there? He was sold into slavery. By who? By his brothers. Okay. So by his fellow kinsmen, the fellow Israelites. That's what leads him to be there. Why does 
Joseph too have to go to Egypt? To protect the line. From who? From Herod. Who is a? Jew. Right. So you have that two, they even have the same name, Joseph and Joseph. They have the same underlying reason for why they have to go to Egypt. They're under attack by their own people. Right? Um, similarly, they're going to go to find protection, and then they're going to come back out. But those stories are so close that it, it, it seems like a little thing, but sometimes in Scripture the little things can mean a lot. Even the fact that in this particular short story, Joseph's the only one that gets named. Right, so our focus is drawn to take the mother and the child. Right? They don't even, this is Joseph's. This is Joseph's event. A lot's made that Joseph never gets a. That he doesn't get any words in the Bible. This is as close to he gets as his big his big moment. The angel comes to him. He's going to lead them to Egypt, and then he's going to bring them back out. So this is a Joseph story. Okay. Continuing on at sixteen. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they are no more." So the, the Massacre of the Holy Innocents gives us two different things to, to take away. Um, what do we think of Herod now? Now he's worse. Murderer. Right. Now he's evil, evil. Before he was just kind of conniving, maybe. But now he's his true colors are out there. So we know that Herod is a bad guy. We take that away from us. Uh, or take that away from this. What is... Um, Oh, and then one more tie-in to a prophecy that will be surrounding the life of, of Jesus. So Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are nowhere near this. Obviously, it's because they've, they've left by warning. But it also fulfills, in Matthew's eye, and ties back to Jeremiah's words here. Um, so again and again, and now again, Matthew wants to return to the prophets and, and make us know and make it very clear that that's how Jesus is tied into um, Scripture that's already come. All right, and to the end of the chapter. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that... Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Okay. So where... So, the, and this very plain, plainly shows us kind of the question earlier... Um, where had Mary and Joseph been living prior to all this? Well, we were told that, uh, originally that it was in Nazareth, but it doesn't appear as if that's the case. That's, that's Luke's understanding. 
right? Matthew, it's, I guess it's not completely defined, but they're in Bethlehem. He's born in Bethlehem. They live in Bethlehem for a time. It seems like they live in Bethlehem. I mean, it's just kind of a, that seems like where they're from. Um, but you, you know, it would be rather stupid, wouldn't it be, to go back to where you were because you, you left and then you didn't come back when these funny things happened. Uh, what happened? I mean, you know, the, the, the gossip will come back. Why would you go back to where you were from originally? Mm. Because then, you know, you were set up that something's wrong with that kid, you know, <laughs> or that family. Well, and why, is, and why is he the only child of this age? You know, because all the other ones are gone. So he would have been the, if they go back to Bethlehem, they're going to notice there's this, you know, there's a 16-year-old, there's a 10-year-old. Who's this kid that's 13? Why is he here? Um, yeah, so you would have had that issue. Um, and obviously just one more tie into, into Scripture. Joseph gets another, gets another pretty good look here. Um, he's the one that makes the wise decision. Where do we learn that he was a carpenter? Haven't heard that. Haven't heard that. So where do we learn that he's the carpenter? That, um, and now I'm blanking on if it's one or the other or both. In, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, once he's ministering, they, they say something in the synagogue, like, are we to listen to this carpenter's son? And that's, that's the main moment that sticks out to me is when we learn that Joseph is, is a carpenter. Um, and it's nice that Joseph gets, gets two big sort of heroic moments here um, because he's gone from the gospel after this. We won't see him again in Matthew. Being a carpenter also would have meant it would have been easier to pick up and go, too. To you had a skill. Yeah, yeah, you could you, go you somewhere. You weren't a farmer somewhere. There's also this, um, and this is something I've only been acquainted with more recently as an idea. In Nazareth, so Nazareth is this little sort of, um, and I'm going to get this story wrong in some ways, but Nazareth is this little town. They were building a town a couple miles, I think, west of Nazareth in order to honor the emperor, maybe. So it was like they picked this area and they built this, they just picked this plot of land and they decided to build a, a nice city town there to be assigned to the emperor and honor him. That was being built right at, around the turn of the first century. And some have thought that part of the relocation was Nazareth was used as a place where people who worked to build this town lived. And then they would kind of walk and commute into this, and I can't remember the name of it, this other town that was being built, and then they'd go back to bed and they'd walk back to Nazareth. So if Joseph's a carpenter, and even as it's being built, maybe Jesus would have been picking up this trade, they might have been living in Nazareth and then walking over to this city that's being built, and that would have been their employment. Um, so that's one of the one of the sort of speculations about part of the reason they wind up in Nazareth is because he could have found work there. Um, yeah, that makes sense now from what we're learning from the 
archaeologists in Egypt because they they've seen you've seen the temples and this sort of thing. Well, now they're going in and they're examining the place where the workers were. Yeah. And it was just right. Well, yeah, you needed cities to, for the workers. To build a town, you had to have workers. Right, but they didn't live in it while they were building it. They lived somewhere else and kind of commuted in. Of yeah. So, yeah, that's that's going to be the end for Joseph here. But we've learned just in these first two chapters, and this is, and the next step we take into is really into the adult life of Jesus. So there's, we're going to have this gap, and it's not clear. I don't think it says. We learn that sort of the, the dividing line is the death of Herod. So I guess we could, oh, I, I know there's a year for that, but I can't remember. So they, they spend some time in Egypt before they come back out. Um, but this is, this is the end of Jesus as child in Matthew. What is kind of interesting here, though, and partly it's because they need to spend that time in, in uh, Egypt, in Luke's gospel, even though we think about Matthew being the one that points us to the uh, reaching out to a Jewish audience, what Luke has that Matthew does it is his dedication in the temple, his circumcision and na naming ceremony, and and this part where they go up to the temple to, um, or they go to Jerusalem for the festival and they lose him and they have to come back and find him and he's been teaching. Interestingly enough, Matthew doesn't include those stories. Um, for whatever reason. But Matthew has already made a couple things pretty clear. He's the Messiah. He's the King of the Jews. He's got this line from Abraham through David down to him. Um, and now with these wise men, that there's going to be three parts to this earthly kingship, the divinity of Jesus, and his death, which is the one that remains the most mysterious to us. And I'll wrap it up for this week. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for time spent around your word. We ask that you use it to open and enlighten our minds and our hearts. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right.